Good morning, brothers and sisters. I hope everybody is doing well this morning. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Judges, chapter 17. As it was announced this morning, uh, we will be concluding this this era or this time of Judges uh, as we've been going through systematically uh, through this time uh, in the history of the children of Israel. Let me find my notes here. Okay, here we go. So Judges chapter 17, and um, we're going to cover 16, 17 and 18, but we're going to read uh, a portion of uh, all of 17 and a portion of 18. So follow along with me as we read Judges chapter 17, verse 1. It says, Now there was a man from the Mount of Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, The eleven hundred shekels of silver which were taken from you, and on which you put a curse on, uh, on which you put a curse, even saying it to my ear, here is the silver with me, I took it. And his mother said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my son. So when he had returned the eleven the eleven hundred shekels of silver to his mother, his uh, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver from my hand to the Lord for my son to make a, a carved image and a molded image. Now therefore, I will return it to you. Thus he returned the silver to his mother. Then his mother took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to the silversmith. And he made it, he made it into a, a carved image and a molded image, and they were in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine and made an ephod and the household idols. And he consecrated one of his sons who became his priest. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now there was a young man from Bethlehem in Judah. Of the family of Judah, he was a Levite and was staying there. And the man departed from the city of Bethlehem in Judah to stay wherever he could find a place. Then he, he came to the Mount of Ephraim. There we go. He came to the Mount of Ephraim uh, to the house of Micah as he journeyed. And Micah said to him, where, where do you come from? So he said to him, I am a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, and I am on my way to find a place to stay. And Micah said to him, Dwell with me. And be a father and a priest to me, and I will give you ten shekels of silver per year, a suit of clothes, and, and your sustenance. So the Levite went in. Then the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man became like one of his sons. So Micah consecrated the Levite, and the young man became his priest, and lived in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, Now I know the Lord will be, will be good to me since I have a Levite as a priest. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And in those days, the tribe of, of the Danites was seeking an inheritance for itself to dwell in. For until, the day, for until that day, their inheritance among the tribes of Israel had not fallen to them. So the, the children of Dan sent five men of their family from, the, from their territory, men of valor, from Zorah to Eshtol, to spy out the land and search it. They said to them, Go and search the land, 
So they went to the Mount of Ephraim, to the house of Micah, and lodged there. And while they were at the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of the young, young Levite. And they turned aside and said to them, Who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? And what do you have here? And he said to them, Thus, uh, thus and so Micah did for me. He has hired me, and I have become his priest. So they said to him, Please inquire of God, that we may know whether the journey on which we, we will go will be prosperous. And the priest said to them, Go in peace. The presence of the Lord is with you on your way. And so the five men departed and went to Laish. And they saw the people who were, who were there, who, who they dwelt safely in the, matter, in the matter of the Sidonians, quiet and secure. There were no rulers in the land who might put them to shame for anything. They, they were far from the Sidonians, and they had no, no ties with anyone. Then the spies came back to their brethren at Zoar and Eshtol, and their brethren said to them, What is your report? And they, uh, So they said, Arise, let us go up against them, for we have seen the land. Indeed, it is very good. Would you do nothing? Do not hesitate to go and enter and possess the land. When you go, you will come up to a secure people, a large land, for God has given it into your hands, a place where there is no lack of anything that is on earth. And we'll pause there. And may the Lord bless the reading of His Word. And so, for the past couple of months, we found ourselves in this portion of the story of the history of the tribe of Israel. The dark time of the judges, right? We have seen... Uh, uh, good things, and we have seen dark things, right? We have seen bad times, good times and bad times. And sadly, here we have this story. At the end of the book, right? The book started with two introductions, if you recall. I know it's been a long time. The book started with two introductions. And then it, it, and it had a bunch of major major judges and a couple minor judges in between. And the book ends with two more stories. We'll call them epilogues. or call them an, an appendix to the book. And these two stories tell to us the state or the, the, the situation, the moral situation in which the people were. It was a litmus test, as it were. It gives us a very vivid picture of what the people were like in the time of the judges. And I tell you, it's a sad story and it's a sad thing to read. For we read at the beginning there in the introduction how quickly they fell away from the things of the Lord. You remember Joshua in his farewell speech, right? Back at the end of Joshua, Joshua got gathered together all the elders, all the chief priests, gathered all the leaders of the people and said, listen, in fact, let me turn to it because I don't want to misquote it. He was, very, he was very blunt and very clear with them. And he said to them, in Judges chapter 23, he says, In verse 11, I'm sorry, it says, Therefore, take careful heed to yourself that you love the Lord your God. Or else, if indeed you you, you go back and cling to the remnant of these nations, these that remain among you, and make marriage with them, and go into, into them, and they into you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive them out, these nations out from you, from before you. But they shall be a snare unto you. See, Joshua, from the very beginning, uh, from the onset of this time of the judges, he warned them and told them to, to love the Lord your God, shun the, the people of the land, shun their gods, 
Shun their systems. Purge them out. That's what the Lord put you here to do. And sadly, at the very beginning, the, only, the third generation from Joshua, it says that when, when Joshua passed away, the children of Israel followed the Lord. When the elders who, who outlived Joshua, they followed the Lord. And it seems that that second generation seems to have followed for that third generation. It says that they did not know the Lord God. They did not know the Lord God. And they followed. They followed after idols. It was a very poignant point by Brother Mike a couple weeks ago. What do you follow? What do you follow? We live in a society that follows things. You follow me on Twitter. You follow me on so and so. I, I don't follow anything. I don't know. But they followed after the gods and the idols of the people. And so, at the end of the story, and we read through the book of Judges, it progressively gets worse, doesn't it? Judge after judge, and, and, and this, the cycle of the judges goes, start, you know, starts, it, it rolls over, and then it starts again. It goes over and over, right? Uh, the, the, the people play the harlot. They, 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 they fall, follow after the gods of the the gods of the people. And, and they sin against God, and God gets angry, and so God takes His protection away from them, and, and, and invading forces come in and persecute them. And persecute them for years, a couple years, uh, and the people eventually realize, and they cry to the Lord for deliverance. Sometimes in true repentance, sometimes before they even repent. The Lord then raises a judge, and that judge is qualified to deliver them. And He delivers them. And as long as that judge lives, the, 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 the book of Judges says, the people followed the Lord. But as soon as that judge died, passed away, what happened? The people went right back to it. They went right back to those gods. They went right back to those idols. And the cycle happened time and time again. And you see it in the book of Judges. It started with them just intermarrying. And it ended with Samson, the judge himself, intermarrying with the people of the land. How progressively it got worse and worse and worse. And so we come to the end. The historian wants to give us a, a little vivid picture. Just kind of like the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is a wonderful book. It gives us, it gives us it's a, it's a shining star in such a dark time, isn't it? But here's a story that doesn't necessarily shine. Here's a story that everything that was done was done incorrectly. Nothing in the story is correct. The Lord's name is invoked. Things were done in His name. Things were done supposedly in His will. Everything, every single thing was incorrect. And it's a sad thing. It's an incredibly sad thing. And so, this morning we find ourselves in this chapter. And, and, and the first thing I want to point out to you is we're introduced to this man. This man named Micah. Now, as I was studying, I came to his name Micah. And the Lord halted me. And I got stuck on Micah. I, I knew this, but it, it, it didn't dawn on me until I sat there and the, the Lord showed it to me time and time again. The name Micah is a beautiful name. The, the, the name Micah has a wonderful meaning. I don't know if everybody knows this, but the name Micah in the Hebrew... It's actually a sentence. And the sentence is this. He says, Micah means, Who is like unto Jehovah? Who is like unto Jehovah? Micah, who is like unto Jehovah? Now, it's a rhetorical question. 
they're not asking you to answer, right? It's a rhetorical. It's declaring who the Lord is. He's an incom- in- incomparable God. He is unlike any other God. He is unique in everything that He is. That name Micah carries a lot in it. It declares who the God of Israel is. It, it carries a lot of history behind it too. You know, I, I bring your, your mind back to the, to there, the crossing of the Red Sea, right? The children of Israel saw this great salvation of the Lord. The Lord miraculously separated the waters of, the, uh, of that sea and, and they walked on dry land and their enemies who were at their heels, the Lord destroyed. And when they got to the other side, Moses and the children of Israel opened their mouth and they sang a song. Did they not? They said, the horse and the rider have died in the sea. And they continue to sing and say, who is like our God, He said. they say. Who is like our God? He's not just any God. He's not like the gods of, of Egypt. He's not like all those gods of Egypt, which He proved Himself far superior than them. You see, Micah had a sick huge significance to them. It was their God. And He was the God. The only God. There was nothing like Him. You know, consider the prophet Micah. You know, in ancient times, parents would name their child with the purpose of the meaning that they would live to the purpose of that name. And the prophet Micah did that to, to wonderfully. The prophet Micah, a minor prophet, I don't think he's very minor, but, but, but he pronounced the most wonderful truth in his, in his little book. He ends his book by saying, Who is like the Lord, he says. Who is like the Lord that pardons iniquity, he says. In a world filled with iniquity and sin, rebels in their heart, he says, who is like the Lord who, who pardons the sins and the iniquities of His people? It is from that portion we get, we get that little chorus, who is a pardoning God like Thee? Who is a pardoning God like Thee? The modern hymn says it over and over, right? There is no God like Jehovah. There is no God like Jehovah. And we see this theme over and over. You know, the, the main reason why the, the, the time of the judges was it can be considered a failure is because the people forgot the uniqueness of our God. They forgot the truth of Micah. Who is like our God. There is none. That was their failure. That was their stumbling block. That's what kept them from living peaceable and victorious lives in the land. Micah. You know, it, it goes a step a little further, actually. You know, this idea that, that the Lord God Jehovah, it is Him and Him alone. Yet Satan himself tries to put himself up there, doesn't he? It was the very thing that he used to deceive Eve with, right? Oh, well, you surely won't die, Eve. But if you eat of the fruit, you will be like God. Oh, oh the heart of men. 
deceitfully wicked. And there, at the close of the book, or there the Bible, in Revelation, there when, when Babylon the Great, where the beast comes up, and, and they say, the crowd looks upon the beast and says, who is like the beast? You see, always trying to take the glory from the Lord from who He is. So Micah, here's this man named Micah who, who was bestowed upon him a wonderful name, a, a name rich with meaning, rich with history. And I don't know if he knew the meaning of his name. I don't know if he, he understood what his name meant. For in this little scene here, we see confusion. Utter confusion concerning the things of God. This man would steal from his own mother. For what reason, I don't know. Maybe was he was stealing it to, to build more idols. He had a shrine in his house. He was an Ephraimite. He, he lived on the Mount of Ephraim. Listen, it baffles me. Shiloh was, was but a couple miles away. And there Shiloh was the tabernacle, was, was the presence of God's wealth. It was there which, where God's presence could be met. And yet this man saw it fit to have a shrine in his own, hand, in his own house. Anyhow, he stole from his mother. And his mother cursed whoever stole his, her, her money. And, and bothered by his conscience that his mother would, would possibly curse him, he confessed to his mother, said, Mother, I, I took your money. I'm sorry, I took your money. Here it is. Here, you can have it back. And, and it, the, the appalling thing is here you have a son stealing from a mother. The son returned the money, and you think the mother would have some sense of, of God's holiness and His righteousness. And what does she say? Oh, blessed are you, son. Oh, you're such a wonderful son. I'm so glad you gave me back this money. I'm so glad you gave me back this silver. Listen, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give it back to the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm going to give it back to the Lord, she says. And and I want you to take it, and I want you to build two idols with it. One that's carved and dipped in silver, and one that's molded. Praise be to the Lord. She said, what's going on? Praise be to the Lord. It doesn't make any sense. You know, the the, the comical thing, she's, oh, I've given it all to the Lord, but he only gives them 200 shekels of silver. The the, the 1,100 didn't actually make it to the the Lord, but whatever. Anyhow, 200 of it goes, and they make two idols out of it, and he takes those two idols, and he puts them in his shrine in his house next to all his house idols. And, and, And Micah, in his... And his pride looks upon what he has. He, he, he thinks himself to be spiritual. He thinks himself to be something. And he says, you know what? what? You know what would be better? Not just having these shrines. Not just having these idols. Not just having you know, all these graven images. He says, I need to go one step further. I need to have a priest. You see, Shiloh over there, they have a great thing over there. They have, they have all the articles. They have, they have the tabernacle. And they have priests there. You know, the only thing I'm missing here is some priests. Oh, that's good. That's a good idea. So what does he do? He grabs it and he makes an ephod. He makes an ephod. What is an ephod? An ephod was nothing but the outer covering of the priest. 
It, it, it was the, the, the vestment of the priest. It, it signified his position. It signified what he was. And so he made an ephod unto his gods. And he put it upon his son. And said, son, you're going to be my priest. And, and, and now he's got a priest. He's got all these idols. And, and, and the, some of the idols were special because you know, his mother gave him the silver because you know, he blessed the Lord. And so now he's got a priest. He's doing good. He's, he's finding favor with God. At least he thinks he is. And you think the story can't get any worse, and it gets worse, doesn't it? And here is a young man from coming out of Bethlehem of Judah, a Levite, coming out of Bethlehem. It says that he, that, that, that he left Bethlehem looking for a place to stay. Looking for a place. There's a lot to say in that. Number one, why was he leaving? Number two, why is he looking for a place to stay? And the sad truth is this. Is the Levites, unlike any of the other tribes, they didn't get an inheritance. They didn't get land to to farm. They, they, They weren't like the rest of them. They're unique in this. That the Levites, as a whole, were God's people. You see, the inheritance of the Levites was not physical land, but it was the Lord Himself. What an inheritance that is. And one of the things that came with that was that they were to live off of the offerings of the people. And so, they would support themselves with the offerings of the people. And we see this sad story, this sad testimony of the state of the Levites in that this young man felt that he was not being supported, felt that he he was not getting what he needed, and he felt he needed to look somewhere to stay. And he left. Now, he happened to stumble upon the Mount of Ephraim. He came across Micah. Micah said, come stay with me. And he asked him, who are you? What's going on? And and, and this young man says, listen, I'm a Levite. I'm I'm from Bethlehem. I'm just looking for a place to stay, somewhere where where I, I can make a living. And Micah has this great idea. Light bulb goes off in his head. He says, listen, listen. Why don't you come stay with me? Listen, I'll take care of you. I will give you a yearly salary. I will give you clothes for you to wear. I will give you your sustenance. I will give, I will give you your food. All I ask is that you be a father and a priest to me. Now, Pause, and we have to stop here and consider that. Now, here's a young man looking for sustenance, looking for money, looking for some type of financial security. And here he's being offered it. Now, the world may look upon that and say, what is wrong with that? And the sad truth is, it's an egregious sin to the living God. For you see, as a Levite, like I said, the Levites did not belong to themselves. The Levites belonged to the Lord. You see, they weren't, they weren't supposed to sell their services. It wasn't for them to sell their services. They belonged to the Lord. They were, they, they were bought with a price, as it were. Just like the newborns. 
They're in the Passover. They were bought with a price, with blood. And here's a Levite who belonged to the Lord, selling his services for coins, for security. Now, I got to be careful here. Here, if we apply this to us here in the New Testament time, in this time of grace, we have to be careful. But there is a stern warning here. Number one, we're, we're declared in the New Testament to take care of the servants of God. Right? He who lives by the gospel shall be supported by the gospel, the New Testament says. Right? We're supposed to support those, right? And we're supposed to take care of these servants of the Lord. They are the Lord's. They are blood-bought, are they not? Now, the sad truth is that there's a lot of servants of the Lord being rented out for service. And it's a sad thing. Now, it's not all bad. I mean, some have great ministries. Some uh, have great followings and they teach the Word of God faithfully and praise the Lord. But some of them are muzzled. Because when you're hired, you have to answer to your master, don't you? I've seen it in my own lifetime. Where a good Bible-believing pastor, a man of God who reads away, refrains from preaching the truth of God that's in the Word of God because it doesn't sit well with those who are above him. That is a sad thing. That's a sad thing. Anyhow. I, I digress because time is flying, but the principle is there. They, they, he belonged to the Lord. He should have never sold his services. He should have rebuked Micah for, for offering such a thing. He should have rebuked him for his idolatry. He should have rebuked... Man, do you not know that I am the... I belong to the Lord? That the Lord is my inheritance? What, what is the Lord compared to these? This shrine of, of, of trinkets... That's what his chances should have been. But the young man says, you know what? It sounds good. It looks good. I'm comfortable. Why not? And the young man went in, and and, and he was like a son to Micah. Micah took care of him. And Micah, (laughs) Micah, oh, he was jumping for joy. Micah said, oh, the Lord's going to be good to me now. I have a Levite for a priest. Look at that. The, the, the pieces are falling for him. I mean, this is just exactly what he wanted. If, if, if we can capitalize it and say, this is worldly spiritual success, this is success at its best. The story goes on. And we read about the Danites. Now, the Danites, as a tribe, our unique tribe. Now, it said that the Danites at the time had not gotten their inheritance or had not fallen to them, it says, right? The Danites, everybody else had the territory. Everybody was allotted their territory and they were to go out and possess the territory, right? And it says that the Danites, the territory hadn't fallen to them. What does that mean? Well, we actually read it in chapter 1. In chapter 1, it says that the Danites went to their territory and guess what? Was there, the Amorites. And the Amorites saw him coming and said, yeah, you're not taking our land. 
And, and the Danites, instead of going and possessing the land and purging the land of, of, of the people and of the idols and everything, what do they do? They run to the hills. And so here are the Danites looking for a land to possess. Looking for a land to possess when the Lord had given them a land to possess and they have not possessed it. It's a sad thing. It's a sad thing. Listen, sometimes believers, it's true in, a lot, it's true in my life sometimes, I'll sit there and I look at other men, I look at other families together, and they have, they have such good ministries. They have such good favor in the eyes of the Lord. And the Lord is using them mightily. And I say to myself, Lord, why not me? I want to do that. I want to serve you like that, Lord. And the Lord says, I've already given you a lot. Why don't you possess what I've given you before you go looking at something else? And here the Danites, are, they're looking. And they send five men, and they go wondering, right? And these men happen to stumble across who? Micah. Good old Micah. And Micah, of course, lets them in. He, very kind, very hospitable man. Lets them in, houses them. And, and these men hear the voice of this young man, and they recognize him. Now, whether they knew him beforehand, or they just recognized his voice, or his dialect, or his twang, I don't know. But he recognized that he was not an Ephraimite, that he was a Levite. And they said to him, what are you doing here? What's here for you? Oh, and this young Levite says, well, you know, I, Micah did for me what he did for you. He took me in, and, and, and I be, I'm a priest unto his house. Now, Again, the Danites should have sat there and said, Whoa, hold on. You're a Levite and you're a priest unto the house of Micah? What is wrong with you? No, no, no. You hear what they say? Oh, you're a Levite. Oh, you're, you're a priest unto the house. Hey, can you inquire of the Lord? Make sure our, our, our little journey here, our little fiasco here is, is of the Lord? And Micah does what a, what a hired, hired person does. Lord's presence with you. Go ahead and go. Thumbs up, you know. <laughs> the atrocities. And so these men go, we didn't read this part, but these men go up, they, they, they travel far north. Now, the land of, of, of the Danites was sandwiched between Judah and the Ephraim, and, and the Mediterranean to the, to the east, and the, uh, the Benjamin to the, to the right. And they had, they had a long sliver of land, but they traveled all the way north, to the north to the farther north than the, than the territory of Nathali. And they found the city of Laish. And it says that this, this, this city was in a far country, was, was far up there. But it was a secluded city. It had great land, fertile soil. The, the, the people who lived there were, were secure and peaceable people. They didn't have any ties to any kings of the area. So if they came and attacked the city, there wasn't going to be an army barreling down against them. And they said, oh... This is it. This is, this is what the Lord has for us. And so they traveled back down, all the way down to their land in, in Zorah and Eshtelah, and, and, and they said to, the, to their, their brethren, listen, we found the perfect place. It's perfect. The Lord has given it to us. Let us go and possess it. Now, I, I pause. Because you may look at that, that situation and say, well, What's wrong with that? 
What's wrong with that, Brother Jamel? You said that everything in this story was wrong. What's wrong with that? Did not Joshua do that very same thing? Did not Joshua enter the land and possess the land and purge the land of the people? Are the Danites not within their rights to do that? And I tell you no. The answer is no. In Deuteronomy, Moses' instruction concerning what they were to do when they were in the land. And, and, and Moses was very specific. The Lord was very specific through Moses, I should say, of what to do when you come to the city, a place that's in a far land, it says. It, it, those exact same words in Deuteronomy chapter 20. I don't have time to turn there. It says, when you get to a city in a far land, it says, it says you will come up to it and you offer it peace. You offer it mercy and peace first. And if they're willing to open up their doors and, and, and they come out to you, then, then you go in and, and you put them under tribute and they will be your servants and so forth. That's what they were supposed to do. What did the Danites do? Well, you, you know the story. And if you don't, you should read it. You see, the Danites got their 600 men and, and, and they, they march on up there. And it, the Scripture is very, very specific. It talks about how the people were peaceable, secure, didn't have any ties with any other kings. They, they, were, they were peace-loving people. And it says they went up there and they struck them with the edge of the sword and with fire and destroyed them, utterly destroyed them. For their own gain. For their own gain. So I tell you, the Danites should have never been there. The Danites should have never massacred those people. The Lord never sent them there. And, and the atrocities continue in this story. Before they go up to Laish, these 600 men arrayed in battle, walking up northward, come across, guess what? The Mount of Ephraim. And guess what's in the Mount of Ephraim? Micah's house. Oh, well, these 600 men, uh, being, being led by these, six, these five men who were the spies, they said, hey, gentlemen, there's a house over here. There's a shrine. There's a couple of idols. There's a couple of house idols. And there's even a, a Levitical priest there. You know, it'd be a smart thing to do. We're, we're journeying farther away. We should, we should have our own little religious system. It'd be a great idea to go and take the Levitical priest and all the shrines. And, and that way we have our, our little center of religiosity, don't we? And so they went and they did exactly that. They, they went into his house and they stole the idols and they and there was this little Levite say hey hey what are you doing what are you doing don't, don't do that and I said hey listen if you keep your mouth shut you can be not just a priest to a family they said but you can be a priest unto an entire tribe of Israel and that young Levite said hey I just got promoted and he went along he didn't say anything he didn't gripe he didn't complain he just joined the crowd they took all the idols and the sad thing is that they took everything they, from Micah's house and they established it up north. You know, the sad story of Micah is this. He runs after them. And he says, you have taken the, the, the gods that I've made. You have taken my Levite. I have nothing left, he says. I have nothing left. What a sad testimony of this man. 
everything he, had, he, he attributed any value in life was taken away. What a wasted life. I tell you, the, the world is exactly like this man Micah. They can find some trinkets here and there. They, they can find some sense of spirituality. They can find something to make them feel better about themselves. Something to make them feel like they're actually a good person. And, and they may find some merit in, in some type of deity. And the truth is, it's all empty. It leads to nothing. And when the, when the curtains are drawn, and they look at the end of their life, and they'll see nothing. This man Micah went home with nothing. Now, I'll wrap up with this. The Danites took this young Levite and all the thing, and they, 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 they rebuilt the city that they destroyed, and they established there a new shrine with all the idols, the, the, the carved idol, the molded idol, the house gods, and all that nonsense. And they put this young man, this young Levite, as their priest. And the, the, the saddest thing about this story comes at the end of this story. When the writer, the historian of this book, tells us who this young man was. He says his name was Jonathan, son of Gershon, son of Moses. Moses. Moses' grandson veered so far away from the truth. And Danite, the Danite people established idolatry in the north. And, it, and it, it was a plague to Israel from day one, that city of Dan. You recall in the time of Judges that when there was that great split between Rehoboam and Jeroboam, the sons of Solomon, Jeroboam runs, runs off to where? To Dan. And there he establishes his, his place. There's, he's got his own religious system up there. He has their own gods. And they separate from the living God. And the Lord eventually takes them away. The Syrians take them away because of their idolatry. And only Judah is left. Or, or, or yeah, Judah's left. Because of the, the, the sins and the idolatry of the Danites, which penetrated all the way down through the rest of the tribes except the last two at the bottom. It's a grave thing to mislead people. Do you know that the Danite or, or, or the tribe of Dan is the only tribe not named? in the book of Revelation concerning the 144,000. There in the book of Revelation, when the Lord redeems those 144,000 virgin men of every tribe of Israel except Dan. Why? Because of their idolatry. Because the Danites, like Micah, forgot who the Lord was. It's a sad thing. It's a sad testimony. I, I go back to the words of Joshua. Joshua said, Pick this day in whom you will serve. Are you going to go serve the gods of our fathers on the other side of the river? It's, 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 it's baffling, isn't it? Joshua warned him, Hey, listen, our, our fathers on the other side of the river, they had their house gods. 
You know, they carried him around. And they were special to him, and, and they bowed down to these little graven image. Or are you going to bow down to the living God, who saved you out of Egypt, who rescued you from their sword, who took you through the Red Sea, who carried you, who fed you? Who you are you going to serve this day? And we see the people running back to their nonsense, running back to their foolishness. So I exhort you this morning, saints. I exhort myself. Number one, the importance of never losing the reality of our God. Not losing the reality of who He is, what He is, and what He has done for us. For I tell you, the moment in which we do, the moment in which our children do, there is nothing left. There is nothing left but chaos and confusion. The, the, the folks in this story, in their minds, in their hearts, I believe, honestly thought they were doing God's will. They, they, they invoked the name of the Lord, and they did things for the Lord, but they did not know the living God. They did not know Jehovah. They did not know the God who took them out of Egypt. They did not know the God of their fathers. I... I, I I've been to other assemblies in this country. And some are doing great and some are, are very bleak and sad. And it's hard to be in those places sometimes. It, it's hard to see a glimpse of the living God there sometimes. And, and sometimes I wonder and I look at their point that have they lost the reality of the living God? Have they lost a sense of the uniqueness of our God? Because the, the actions of church, of doing church, is nothing without the God. If we're just coming to church to do church because that's what we do, very quickly you realize that there's no point in it unless you come for the living God, the Jehovah. My time is gone. I hope these thoughts will bless your heart as it has mine and I hope that we take it to heart. That we take it... Listen, you, you can mirror the time of the judges very little with the time today. We declare ourselves to be a non-denominational church. We know that Christ is our head and we look into this book. They were a theocracy, we're a theocracy. He is our head. But we can lose sense of who He is. The whole thing crumbles. The problem with the time of the judges is the hearts of the people did not know their God. Let us never lose the reality of our God. Let us pray. Our Heavenly God and Father, we, we thank You and praise You, Lord, for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, for the instructions, the principles, the warnings, the, the encouragement, Lord. Lord, I... I read these stories and it's sad to think the folly in their thinking, the, the, how far they were from You, Lord. Lord, yet we read in these books, you see souls, men, women, families, tribes, who, despite of what was going around them, they clung to You, Lord. Despite of all the despair around them, they never lost focus of You 
Father, this is my prayer, Lord, for all who are here this morning. And for my own heart, Lord, let us never lose the wonder that is your person, that is your character. And Lord, by your grace and your strength, let us, Lord, impart that to our children and our grandchildren and our nieces and our nephews. Let our children know you the way we know you. As an all-powerful God, a God who is unlike any other God, a God who pardons the iniquities of men who don't deserve anything but, but death and hell, Lord. Lord, I pray your blessing upon these people. I ask all these things in your Son's precious name. Amen.